Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Corey Rosen with The Story. Today, I have a super special guest. Her name is Robin Chambers. Originally a child of the 60s, born in Southern California, Robin Chambers now resides around Lancaster, PA. Uh, but as a youth and a time and a place that cherished liberation, Robin d- developed a zeal for activity celebrating her creative spirit and letting the inside out. Throughout, uh, uh, though she engaged in expressive writing daily and has fashioned and sold many works of art, Robin has made her living from acting and her true passion music since she was 18 years old. If pressed to define, if pressed to define her career, she would say she is a violinist, singer, and songwriter. Uh, Robin has had, uh, Robin has been. I gotta relax and calm down. <laughs> I'm stressed, man. <sighs> Robin has been a founding member of n- of a number of bands, such as Modern Icons, Lava Cave. My phone is. Is that your phone going off? <laughs> um. As well, sorry. No, that, that scared the life out of me because that, that's my that's my morning alarm. And so we we get, me and Nathan kind of talked about this uh, like a day ago, like. Uh, I get so triggered whenever I hear like the first note of that alarm because it, it's like, yeah, like having an out of body experience trying to <laughs> rewake up, but I'm already awake. Bringing yourself back. Yeah, right. All right. Well, anyway, Robin has been a founding member of of a number of bands such as the Modern Icons, Lava Cave, as well as working as a session musician, recording on a variety of projects, including albums, motion picture soundtracks, and commercials. She has performed in countless clubs from corner taverns to CBG. Bees. CBGBs. What, what, what are those? CBGBs is a pretty famous club in New York City mm. where a lot of people an, played. Um, I thought that was an acronym. Nope. Oh, well, okay. yeah. I guess, I guess it is. But uh, uh, Also, the World Cafe Live and Lancaster's own Chameleon, as well as many festivals and in the streets of New York City, New Orleans, San Francisco, and Paris, just to name a few. Now that I've said that for the second time, <laughs> we're going to ask you, how are you again? I am delighted to be here, Corey. Uh, it's, this is going to be fun. This, is, this has already <laughs> been fun. Okay, so the, the first question I had asked you is, what was it like uh, growing up in the 60s? And how uh, from there did you uh, get the inspiration or the, the wanting, the need to do music? I I loved growing up in the '60s in Southern California. It really um, it, it gave me a very free spirit. My my family was very free and creative. I had an artistic grandma and aunt, and uh, my aunt had a a convertible car. We would go down Coast Highway Number One and listen to these great tunes of the '60s and. Uh, I uh, I was a pretty shy girl and mm. felt as though I had a lot to say, even though I didn't know how to speak it. So music felt like a, a great way to uh, get the inside out. You were talking about inspirations um, when, when the audio wasn't working, and you had mentioned the Beatles and how much you wanted to be a Beatle. 
Yes, yes. I would uh, lay on the living room floor and I had their albums that had the booklets in them, Mm -hmm. the wild booklets, and uh, would be listening to their music. This was when I was like six and following along with the lyrics and singing along with my little heart engaged and so wanted to be a Beatle. To me, at six years old, I didn't understand what the Beatles were. I thought it was like a generic term for these musical people with long hair and free spirit. And I knew I wanted to be a Beatle too, but being a girl, I didn't know if girls were allowed to be a Beatle. So that's kind of the weird way I got engaged with that. That's interesting. Um, I've had so many misconceptions where I've taken like a term that uh, means one specific thing and just broadened it. Mm-hmm. to mean other completely different things. Uh, that's, that's actually kind of funny. Um, so we had talked about a little bit of your uh, what inspired you to get into your mus- into your uh, specific instrument, which is now violin, right? Mm-hmm. And you had talked about orchestras. Yeah, in, in third grade, I think they still do this. They take the whole school into the auditorium and you get to watch the orchestra play and they also test your ears and see if you can tell what note is higher and whatnot. And uh, I apparently had pretty sharp ears and they said, oh, you would be able to play violin and and watching them play on stage. It looked wonderful. And uh, so even though my family was not very affluent, uh, they right away took me to buy an expense, inexpensive violin at that point. And uh, I, I was so honored by that. It was the biggest thing that anybody had ever bought me. And uh, I, I remember just... Okay. Absolutely. Back to the door. Right, I was just making sure that we're still... We're okay, still on. Yeah, yeah, we are still on. <laughs> okay. I looked at that violin and, and just like had a spiritual minute with it. Like my parents believed in me enough to buy me this thing. And I am going to do right by them and, and by this wonderful instrument here that has so much potential within it. And, of course, right away it sounds like crap. But, um, mm. but I just... I had this in my mind that I wanted to sound like a gypsy violinist and like with a passion and, and play with it. And I just remember being up in my room and trying to give it my all. Um, and anyway, that's how I got into violin. That's good. Uh, so what? Okay. So you had, you were a child and you wanted to speak, but your voice didn't work. So you went to music. Mm-hmm. How has that, has that, is that still the case now? It is. I've, well, I've become better with my words, like through okay. writing. Um, and also, I feel more comfortable talking. I think one way I developed comfort comfort speaking was through um acting actually when you take on somebody else's role Mm -hmm. I I had a job as an actor for like 37 years in the same job playing different roles in um in these 
theme feasts, and uh, that made me more comfortable with speaking. So I have that option now, but to me, I feel as though music is the purest form of my expression in the best music. I mean, there's a lot of music that you can just play and kind Mm of do-de-do, go through the chords and not step on anybody too much. But then there's a kind of music that is holy and uh, that you just open up your whole soul. And that's that's when I feel I can express. Part of it is personal expression, but then you open even more and it's almost universal expression. Mm. That's, yeah, it's so... The diversity or the uh, amount of emotions you can put through music and the 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 way you can express yourself through music, it's so much more sometimes than mm-hmm. words. And it's it lends itself to much more feeling sometimes than, than words. I could say I love this, but you can show you your love through. You're one of the most expressive violinist players I've ever seen. Oh, thank you. Like, truly. I, I feel like a lot of uh, violinists are more stand stilly, uh, sit stilly, <laughs> and, you know, or the orchestra type musicians. Uh-huh. But you, every time I see you perform, you're always dancing around. You're you're moving yourself in almost seemingly impossible ways for a violinist. <laughs> uh, oh. And it, it reminds me, there's there's this violinist who it was also a ballet dancer, and so she'll play and do oh, ballet. I at think the same I've time. seen her. Yeah, yeah it, it kind of reminds me of that. But in but with, with the fa- passion you have, it really inspires me because you'll keep going until all your strings are uh, like the uh, bow hairs. The bow hairs are gone, and you'll you'll just use the stick and be fine with it. <laughs> and I'm sure you've gone, you've had a time where you've broken a string, and you've still continued. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just—it's wild to me. Um, as a person who complains when his pedal stops working, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's almost like your instrument is secondary to your expression. I feel as though you can make music if you have the music in you that wants to come out you can make music with your zipper you can make mm. music with a book and just flipping the pages or or anything um you just and i think this is part of my personal expression is struggling with my limitations, the limitations Mm. of the moment in art. I might work with something. I like working with crepas, and they're hard sometimes to work with. They don't blend right. They don't, they're kind of a rough-hewn kind of thing, but I I like the struggle with that to, to create what I want with something that isn't that easy. And so, like like with music or when I'm in my own studio and I have, I don't play many instruments. I play violin pretty well and and I can play viola, a little bit of cello and mandolin because they all have, they're all, I Mm -hmm. think, tuned in fifths. 
Um, they lay under my hands. Other instruments I might want to hear. I don't know how to play them, but I just sort of have at them. I'm a limited, but then my parts express my limitations. And um, I don't know. I guess I like the challenge of working with that. So when my strings break or my horse hair flies off, you know, you 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 play with the stick. You just express as much as you can with what you have to express with. I like that. Because the instrument is, it's, yeah, because it's the vessel through which you communicate. Mm-hmm. You, But you are the communicator. So you can use the instrument in whatever way you have to mm-hmm. in order to get it across. That's, that's, that's you weird. use it. Yeah. It's interesting. So uh, going back to growing up, um, you started started your own band, or did you join a band? Um, the first band I was in, um, I I had been in high school, and my plan was to move back to California. I went to high school at Penn Manor in Millersville here in Pennsylvania. I was going to, as soon as I graduated, head out to California, live there for a year, and go to college for free. At that time, they had that system. Um, my parents, my dad was a physics teacher over at Millersville, and they really wanted me to do at least one year at Millersville first before I left. And that was kind of a magical year. Um, I graduated high school in 78, so 78, 79, I was at Millersville. In that year, I, um, started jamming with some people, um, actually off campus. There was a guy older guy. I was um, 17 at the time, and he was probably in his 30s, but he would, he lived a little off campus and would be jamming on the porch, and Tom Coolidge was his name, and I started jamming with him, and then he brought friends over, and I started meeting this whole group of people that were a good deal older than I was, and um, through them, I met Diane Sontag and Randy Zimmerman, and they had been playing together in a band and invited me in to play with them. I'm just started out, I had been playing just classical music in high school, and uh, Tom Coolidge was the one who was trying to get me to just be off book and just jam, starting off with just long notes and then getting a little more complicated from there. And uh, so I joined. Diane and Randy really half-baked in that way, and we started the band um, Gypsy Blue. And uh, right away, we were playing three to five nights a week. And, uh, and then I stopped going to college and moved into Lancaster in a little apartment for 85 bucks a month and played. Uh, playing three to five nights a week where I was making roughly what people are making now back in 79. I was 18 at the time. And uh, so, yeah, Gypsy Blue was my first band. And uh, because it was so often we would play, it was I grew up fast doing that. Mm-hmm. I, I bought a van even though I didn't know how to drive. Diane and Randy would drive us to gigs and... Uh, it was a fast growing up. <laughs> sure. 
so <clears throat> how long did how long did, how long did that last for? That was only a couple years. Um, during that time, I met Steve Chambers. Actually, that same year in college, I met him at a party, and uh, he ended up being the man I got married to. Uh, He would come to my Gypsy Blue gigs, and um, when that band broke up, uh, he and I got together, and we moved out to Santa Fe, New Mexico, Mm. and started a little duo there. And basically, we would just play in a little a little cafe, um, Pasquals, off the square in Santa Fe. Every, uh, I guess it was two or three days a week, but it was like eight hours a day. We would just sit in this little perch and play, and um, it got us to build a repertoire very quickly. He, he played guitar, and... Uh, we both sang in that band. And uh, through doing that little gig, um, a lot of interesting people would come through Santa Fe. Um, Shirley McLean, Larry Hagman, Sam Shepard, um, Jessica Lang. Um, but they would also have film festivals. And I guess the head of the film festival saw us playing in this cafe and asked us to play for... Um, a special event for this film festival. And so it was through that weird little cafe gig that we ended up playing this lavish brunch gig where all the stars for the film festival was music in the movies. Mm. And uh, I and we ended up playing for like some of the musicians were um, Robbie Robertson of the band. Um, Benny Goodman was still alive then. Mm-hmm. He was there. Um, Philip Glass. Uh, so that was kind of an interesting experience to have from just playing in a cafe. So is that where your uh, playing in movie soundtracks comes from? Actually not. Oh. Um, when I returned back to Lancaster, I befriended... Um, Mary Haverstick, who I was friends with actually in high school, I hadn't really kept up with her in the meantime, Um, but she was into filmmaking, and her partner, Michelle Mercure, who is a musician, did a lot of the music for these films, and so we would collaborate um, for some of the music for Mary's films. That's cool. Uh, any of them, any, uh, what what are the films you have worked on? Uh, where can they be found? Um, I guess you can find some of them on Netflix. And right now, um, Shades of Black is one of the films. Um, I forget. This was so long ago. I didn't think to refresh my memory on the names of the films. But... Um, I actually sang for one in Lancaster County 2020 was the film that she made. It was futuristic. At that point, it was oh, a futuristic yeah, I was, thing. I was wondering. That's, <laughs> uh, uh, how accurately did they depict it? Um, well, 
It was a little extreme, but it was pretty on point, too. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it just about how this beautiful bucolic farmland has gotten taken over by, mm. you know, just um, industry and, and people building homes all over our beautiful farmland here. And, um, it really got into the the song I did was for Dutch Wonderworld, <laughs> um, or Amish Wonderworld, or anyway. Um, it was more about how uh, the tourism looking at the Amish just got so twisted and weird. But I think the tourism now we didn't guess back then has really turned into more being about the arts. Mm. I love how there's been such a renaissance in Lancaster, I think largely because of Chameleon, actually. Really? Yeah, Rich Ruoff's Chameleon um, making this a destination for a lot of world-class acts really? to come through. I've never really heard much of the of the Chameleon. I've uh in regard to like world class acts, I, I I think of AMT, American Music Theater. Oh, yeah. Um, I guess the Chameleon would be for more the youth, gotcha. not like bands of the way past coming and and doing big fancy shows. This is more like Soundgarden and the Pixies gotcha. and um, rock. Rock acts. Okay, yeah, I have, I've never. Is the chameleon still around? Um, it it finally closed. Mm. Um, Rich had sold it off. I can't remember which year it was, and it really changed at that point. But, um, I really credit Chameleon for helping me tremendously as a musician in this area because when Steve and I came back to Lancaster from Santa Fe, New Mexico, we started a band called Modern Icons, which was a trio with Steve and myself. And um, at that point, our bass player, Mike Shank. And we were doing some cre- pretty crazy music for a, a folk trio. They we were once introduced at the Chameleon as Peter, Paul, and Mary on Mescaline. <laughs> it was kind of psychedelic, postmodern folk. That's cool. There's a lot of, um, I've noticed Lancaster is a spot for a lot of diversification of genres, mm-hmm. which is really interesting to uh, see. I've, I've only been uh, certain places that I've just, you know, just, on your standard folk country, you know your right. ran, you know your your run of the mill stuff, uh, but Lancaster, you'll hear there's so much prog rock, and prog rock already has like a diverse. What is prog rock? Everything yeah. can be prog rock on some level. Um, and Things then you do have, progress. Yeah, it's just, it's just so yeah, right. And there's so much diversity within like the folk scene in Lancaster, which was really surprising with me because I didn't realize you could take folk to such an extent. Mm-hmm. before coming here i i just have to say i i think that modern icons had some effect about of the way some of the freedom the the folk scene took like we kind of busted through with absurd 
music and almost a, a strange stage presence. I, there was one song I would hold a TV that was playing at, while I was singing, and and uh, it it related to the the songs and I don't know, just weird, weird stuff we would do, and um, and it would be easy for people to shrug off some weird mm-hmm. the folk trio doing stuff like that, but. Rich really saw, I mean, there was an intensity, creativity, and passion in what we did. And he took this little, you know, he wasn't having folk music at Chameleon. It was rock and big mm-hmm. things. And he would bring in, bring us in and have us open for really great world-class acts. And um, it really um, gave us the validity that... right. Even we didn't think we would have. Um, so that was, I will always be thankful to Rich Ruoff for that. That's interesting. So uh, how did you get connected with Rich? Um, we we would just play out. Um, and I'd, I'd go to Chameleon to see oh, yeah. various acts too. So being in the music scene, people knew who I was and I knew who he was and it was great when he approached me. I couldn't believe it. That's interesting. So you probably felt how I felt when I first came into the music scene around like a year ago at this point. Um, so I, uh, one of my friends had brought me into TELUS one night, mm. and that was the first time I've ever been like in the music scene in Lancaster, at least. And I came I came up, and Bjorn was running the mic there at the time. Oh, uh, that was great. Yeah. And so it was... Bjorn, you, and Woody, and Henry, and all these, like, insanely talented musicians coming up, and I'm like, I just know how to hit chords on the piano. (laughs) That's all I know. And and people will say, oh, you can do so much more, but it's truly what I do. I'm not trained classically on piano at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. All of that is more, like, self-taught or just what I think will sound good Mm -hmm. at a time. Sometimes it sounds good. Sometimes it's, it's jazz. Yep. Um, so I had, oh, and Cody was there too. I'm Cody Kilburn. Um, and so I was, I was scared to approach people because there's there there was this air of exclusivity around you guys. Oh, um, we try not to do oh, that because, I, I know of, that now. like, because it's so much fun when there yeah. are new people to kind of turn on to that the vibe of what's going on. I definitely realize that now, but it, it was just the case that, uh, or at least Woody, Henry, and Bjorn, and I don't, were you in general semantics as well? No, I wasn't. Well, well, it just had to be, well, you play with Bjorn all the time anyway, right? Um, we have a duo. Duo, yeah. And we used to be in a band called Wayfarer Experiment. Yeah, so I, so I, I feel, because that was the case, that you guys were all, all like, there was general semantics, and then there was... You and you and Bjorn, I feel like that was just how it happened anyway. It wasn't the case that it was, hey, only us can play. It was more of just like, well, we already know all the songs anyway, so we're going to play along anyway. <laughs> and uh, granted, it was, you know, can't, you shouldn't, in my opinion, you really shouldn't have two bass players playing. <laughs> so that would get muddy it's real like, quickly. like, where is the... The core of this right, thing. right, right. <laughs> where are we going? Can't really have two drummers. Can't really have. Uh, well, we can have two guitarists, but you know, drums and percussion can be really compelling. Oh, for sure. 
Uh, but yeah, so for when I, when I came, so when I came in, I was like, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know how to approach these people. And um, so it was really. I, I Look guess how that's, far you've come. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I'm sitting here talking to you. <laughs> uh, totally unafraid. Um, so I guess that's is that kind of similar to how you felt almost coming into these you know world class acts. Um, feeling so much. We had gotten, we were very lucky as modern icons to um, play some nice places. We played um, the Fells Point Fun Fest down in Baltimore for like thousands of people. Oh, wow. And same up, there was a big state college arts fest that was the same thing in the streets. Also, we used to play in the streets of New York City. Just in the streets, like in Greenwich Village and Soho. And uh, so there was a feeling of just, yeah, we're going to be weird. We're going to be intense. And you're going to just sit there and take it. Like, okay. So so there was like a drive (laughs) and determination almost. Yes. Yes. Like a force that we are meant to be here almost. There was a great time. I mean, I always loved playing in the streets of New York City, but um, there was one special time where it was when we were with Mike Shank and Steve and myself. And the crowd had really. We were just on the sidewalk. They had built out into the streets. And then the cops were coming like, what's going on? And the people were starting to turn on the cops like they're like, there are people out robbing other people and doing drugs in the alleys. What are you giving these people are playing music a hard time? And so they kind of chilled and just kind of tried to tap them like out of the street more into the sidewalk. And then I don't know if you know who Howard Cosell is. Mm-mm. He was a very famous sports broadcaster mm. and everybody knew him at the time. And he came walking up with his wife and they were just like sitting there getting into our music. And then there was a wino who had been hanging out and drinking and just kind of moving around with us. And he started dancing with Howard Cosell's wife there on the sidewalk. And Howard Cosell just had his his uh, iconic smile watching the whole thing. And it was just just such a magical moment. But um, I bet that would never, ever happen today, at least. I don't know. Well, in Manhattan, I think everything has gotten to be more like um, Disney World or something like really? it's not, it's it's not as real and as gutsy. More corporate, yeah, 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 and and more touristy. Um, there it was just the real people of the neighborhood coming mm-hmm. out. With a, a guy who was friends with David Byrne invited us back to his apartment to have pasta and talk about music and art and. Um, yeah, I don't know if that would happen these days. I don't know, maybe in Brooklyn or I don't know what the new Brooklyn is. The cool place keeps cool on place. Keeps is and ephemeral. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's so many cool places in New York City. Um, I, I do remember one time that at, there's the uh, there's like the floating island or whatever it's called, or it's it's like it literally looks like a bunch of golf tees out in like in the uh, like the harbor almost. Oh, and there they had this like nine. 
uh, nine squares with like bells on them. So you stepped on it, it would make a sound. Oh, sweet. And being the composer that I am, I was like, I wonder what could I do with this? <laughs> and so I started messing around and, and playing around and slowly, slowly this group just kind of like comes around me and now I'm like, oh shoot, I've got an audience now. People are drawn to music. They, yeah. I mean, man, I think maybe it's what could save the world. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, because music is a universal language. Everyone's going to, well, to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely do think music can unify groups of people more than anything else, at least. Yeah. Yeah, you you can make orchestras. There have been orchestras made of two countries that have been mm-hmm. foes of one another, and there they are in the same orchestra making incredible music together. Um, just so many ways that music has been used as a peace peacemaking even just i mean being in a club and you have all different kinds of people with all different kinds of lives and horrible things that have happened to them that day or what and then some you know with great things that happen and then the beat starts going and they're all moving to the same beat and mm-hmm. they it's like they all dive into this universal pool together and and can be moved in the same way and and slough off all the divisiveness yeah it's uh, i've been watching a lot of um marvel recently i've been watching luke cage it's a superhero show but and a large staple of that is this club in harlem that uh it's a it's a gang club but all the amount of musicians that come through and that it's a place where it's kind of like switzerland almost in mm. some aspect uh where if enemies come together they they kind of do their gang business okay. uh but it's, it's the music that's that keeps them all together because they're talking about the music and then they relate back to themselves and it's really interesting because i feel like that happened that's probably what happened happened a lot in like sh- the chicago areas mm. uh and the new york um, mob town areas. I feel like that's very akin. Granted, they were you know they hated each other, but they would come together peacefully yeah. around music. Yeah, yeah, it's a magical thing we play with. So you had talked <clears throat> about um, going to New York City, New Orleans, or well, you didn't talk about. It. You had said you had been to these places. Uh, I'm curious as to what like drove you to this place. What 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 you what made you go? I want to go to New York City to play music, or I want I wanted to go to New Orleans to play on the streets. Was there anything that like anything that just pulled you there, or was that just a personal drive of I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna make music and I'm gonna just have the time of my life? Well, there were different things drawing me to different places. Um, in New York City, our bass player was actually um, apprenticing with a violin maker up in New York City. He was living in Queens, and he was jamming with all these jazz cats and living a great life up there. And so he would invite us up. And we would stay at his apartment, and then he knew the 
um, the streets to go to to jam. We even jammed in the subways with him. So it was nice having that connection <clears throat> to draw us into New York. And just it was fun feeling like we were in the middle of something Mm-hmm. So profound. I mean, it, I I love coming. I don't know that I would want to live there for a long time. I mean, for some people, it's great. For me, I I need to chill back where I can get the dirt under my feet. And but um, it's great getting the shot of that feeling. Um, New Orleans. Um, I had always wanted to go to New Orleans. Uh, I had studied about it. I have listened to the music of New Orleans. And then um, Bjorn had moved Mm -hmm. there and lived there and um, made connections down there and played. And it just made me even more want to get down there. Um, So that was more of a recent travel. This was when I was... um, for my birthday there, I went there for my birthday when I turned 15, 59, and uh, my daughter came with me. I was going to go, like, for the first t- time to do a trip all by myself. I had never, I mean, I used to go as a kid even, like, even 11 years old, take the Greyhound out to California um, so I, I was used to traveling on my, well, my grandparents would be on the other end. Oh, yeah. uh, like I'd have to do, uh, layovers and switch buses, which was a little dicey, dicey yeah. like in Las Vegas or, <laughs> but I, I did it. So I was used to traveling on my own, but always somebody would be there on the other end to catch me. Mm. But I kind of wanted to travel all by myself to New Orleans. But my daughter loves New Orleans. And she said, Mom, this first time you go, I want to go with you. And I'm really glad she did. But um, this is one thing where um, being the age I am now and the technology that has advanced during my time in music has really helped me in that I was able to reach out and friend a number of people in New Orleans before going out there. Like I would just, um, there would be some people who were already friends of mine that knew other people in New Orleans. And so I would just start friending people that I had several friends with. And so I had a bunch of people who were informed. I'd ask them questions on Facebook, and they informed me good places to go. And I actually got a gig through doing that. Um, I actually found out where to go for open mics. Mm. So it was nice for the first time going down there to be able to gig and to jam with people. And that's really that's really smart. It's really smart. I I love. This weird thing of being able to network. And so, like, I've networked with a lot of, like, famous people that I've known of and kind of wanted to have some kind of personal connection with. Um, and now it's fun to see them, like, liking my writing or, or something on Facebook. That is certainly wild um, it, to have... <clears throat> Like, because we, we have, it's kind of been a theme on the show. It's talking about networking and how 
in almost integrally important it is mm-hmm. to being a, a musician and to really step out of your comfort because I'm sure that took a lot of nerve to go out and reach out to some of those people. I think part of it is being my age. Like I, it's, I don't care anymore if it <laughs> seems uncouth or whatever. It's like, eh, man, I only have this many years left mm-hmm. and I don't want to get to the end of them and think, ah, I should have done that. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, Mm, I'm just gonna, gonna try do it. it. Just gonna do it. <laughs> the worst they can do is say no. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a good attitude to have for sure. Um, so you uh, went down there and you had a time of your life. I really did. Um, there was uh, on the night before my birthday is um, Halloween, oh, okay. and so I uh, I went around with my daughter. Lots of tequila was had. Um, <laughs> The final place we ended up was with this great funk band, and uh, we were all dressed up in our Halloween attire and and grooving on the music, and um, the woman singer who led this band, she pointed to me and she said, you, you need to be up here. And the band, like, I don't know why. She didn't know I was a musician or anything. I didn't have my violin or anything. She just, the band grabbed me and pulled me onto stage. (laughs) And I was just, like, singing along with the band for that time. But, yeah, anyway, had a wonderful time. The The next morning was a little rough. Well, right. (laughs) But that night was, made it all worth it. Um. So uh, how long did you stay in New Orleans for? A week. A week? Um, That must have been an action-packed week. Yeah, yeah, it was. Did a lot of walking. Yeah, um, I've never been, but I've always wanted to go. uh, um, I heard a little bit from Bjorn. um, I'm trying to think of what the question was. I, I had it, and then it went away. Regardless, so, so you've been to New Orleans. Uh, you've also been to Paris, I've, I've heard. Yeah. Um, this was back in 89. Um, or is that right? Yeah, 89. Um, my husband and I were thinking about having kids and we decided we were going to do like a last hurrah kind of (laughs) tour of Europe. And we spent five weeks traveling through Europe and Paris was one of the the stops and we brought our instruments. We, he brought his guitar and I had my violin and we played on in Paris. We played on the left bank and, um, that was probably, I mean, we played other cities in Europe, but that was the best response we had of any city. And uh, so we were playing there. I was doing this kind of wild gypsy thing. And this very fancy man in a tux and a woman in a beautiful long gown came up to us and were really into it. And we stopped and he said, I am the leader of an orchestra at a club, and I would like to bring you in and feature you at this club in Paris. 
But the only thing was that was like the following weekend and we were going to be off in Vienna by then. Oh, and no. so I did. And this is, you know, I have certain regrets. Is that one of them? That is a, one of the big one regrets. One. I really wish oh, oh, that would have been no. so much fun. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, so. there's, there's some points where I'd say, you know what, screw it, I'm going to take this opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And, some, you know, I went 89, you know, I was 28 at the time. It's it's taken me till now to, to realize, realize, you know, you just got to throw away the itinerary sometimes and just go with the natural flow that's something I, i've thankfully i've learned at a very early age is that you there your schedule is never going to work out the way you think it is it's never going to work out so why not just have the most fun you can yeah and deal not necessarily deal with the consequences later but uh like you said vienna's always going to be there mm-hmm. you know what i mean but this opportunity that you got was never going to happen again, probably. It's true. And it was it was a miracle that it happened in the first place. Absolutely. So it's it's so sad sometimes when <laughs> people... When it, but the same trip, um, you know, like the place we flew out from was Lisbon. And mm. we met these... This sweet couple, like we we hadn't booked any hotels or anything. We were just like walking through the streets holding our instruments. And this guy says, young people, young people. Young people. This was a while ago. <laughs> Come here. And he had seen our instruments and he offered, he and his wife had a place and they offered us a room based on the fact that we were musicians. And every day we would play a little music just for them. And, and it just, I've. Having your instruments along when you travel, whether you're, you know, on a an actual like tour, it just opens up so many magical things. Yeah. Like when I was down, I was down in um, Mexico. Um, this was back when I was had just turned twenty, and we were on in a campground in the Yucatan. And I had my violin there, and this um, this guy who ran the campground had a guitar. It was really beat mm. up. It was held together by Band-Aids oh in my. some places. And he didn't speak any English, and I spoke very broken Spanish, but we got to play music together um, in a way that just brought everybody in the campground around and, and shared that glorious moment together I, I just this is one thing in the future I want to do I love travel and I love music and I want to combine the two much more mm. in my years to come that's something that's, that's <clears throat> one of the regrets I, I have I went on a road trip in November to all these different cities and I, I, I wanted to bring my dad's like travel guitar. It's like a really small tra- travel mm, guitar. Yeah. Um, but my friend was just, no, we don't need it. And I'm like, but you don't understand. <laughs> I want to play on, on Broadway in Nashville, <laughs> just to say I did. Uh-huh. And you know, I could just and or exactly, I played it on the streets of Chicago. And because you, like you said, you never know what's gonna happen. Somebody can walk up to you and. I'm, you know, I'm not the best at piano, but maybe they need a piano that night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
if I'm gonna be there, I might as well have some fun. And those are those are probably the the best connections you could ever make. Mm. So I yeah, you can you can touch a perfect stranger in a profound way mm-hmm. through music and uh, anywhere in the world. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm definitely gonna make sure <clears throat> that I at least bring something on my next trip. It, it's I don't care what they say. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it and I'm gonna play it. I always take your axe. Always take yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's it. The soul uh, box. The soul box. So we had uh so now that we're kind of well, I guess we kinda of went back in time a little bit, but we're gonna jump back forward in time. That's what I like to do, just like bounce all around. Uh, it's totally it's fine. relative. Everything yeah, that's that's right, everything is relative. So we um being your age and uh, still doing music, what is it like to? Because you have so many commitments in your life. You have you have your marriage, and we can talk about that. And we can have your kids, and we can also talk about that. But being at your age, where you are growing older and older, uh, what what's what are some of the challenges that you are having as as you you know start to grow older? Mm-hmm. Um. Well. Let me take care of two of those things. Um, the wonderful thing about being my age is <clears throat> I've already had my kids. I was, mm-hmm. you know, playing on the chameleon stage while I was pregnant with twins. And now those twins are 28. And my daughter is going to be 31 next month. And I love that they are off having wonderful lives themselves, and I love reconnecting with them, but they don't need me in their daily life anymore. As far as the marriage goes, that is not an issue anymore. Um, When Steve and I were playing music together, it was something very important to both of us that we shared and could have experiences like going Mm -hmm. to the Yucatan and traveling and doing that and having these wonderful exuberant gigs at Chameleon in in New York. And, and even when we had kids, um, we'd get the babysitter and it would be like going on a date that we got to share this something really important. But music has being a musical performer has never been as um, important to Steve as it was to me. And uh, he um, decided to break up Modern Icons. That band had been together for, I believe, 18 years. Mm. And um, which (laughs) anyone would say, yeah, that's that's long enough for a band. Um, and in retrospect, I, I realized it was long. I was really stuck in a pattern and wasn't growing so much mm. as a musician being in that band. Um, but when he disengaged from the music, um, I there was no way I was going to disengage from the music. And I kept on. And it just, it caused us to um, draw apart. And uh, about two and a half years ago, we made it more official. We, we separated. Mm. Um, so 
the marriage is no longer an issue for me at this age. So in in a way, I'm more liberated right. than I ever have been before. Um, I have all the chops that I have evolved into by this time. I have a tremendous network where people are calling me to play gigs as opposed to me begging for gigs. Um, I have a lot of the world that I feel comfortable going into. Um, There are people who have followed me all through these years, and they say that I am stronger now than I've ever been. Um, So right now, I'm not feeling any of the limitations of my age, except for the obvious, like... (sighs) Vanity, you know. I, mm. I look at myself uh, now. Everybody, more, more technology. Everybody has the cameras built into their phones. Everybody takes pictures and videos, and I'm looking at this face all scrunched in on a violin. And actually, playing the violin has distorted my body. Oh, it's, really? Yeah. yeah, it's um, it made this jaw grow longer, and like there are all kinds of contortions about me through the instrument. So, like, time has has slammed me a little bit in that way. But um, I guess you know when I was a younger musician. Guys can be so weird. Like these guys would just come up to me. And I was 18. I had long, long hair and playing violin. And they're like, well, I don't know about how you sound, but I love the way you move. And and just, I don't know, obviously real sleazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, now when I'm 61, <laughs> that's that challenge is falling away some not to say like i don't get skeezy people coming up still or even on the internet saying i don't know how the whatever um but but as i get older that's going to be less and less of a, uh, an issue that it's more about the music and not about the vessel has that been a struggle? So you say that has been a struggle for you because did you always pride yourself in your beauty as well? Or no, I I never thought of myself as beautiful at all ever. And now I look back to myself when I was younger, and I thought, oh, honey, why didn't you realize it? You know, I mm. always felt very self conscious about my looks. Um, and I've even written things about it because I just need to get it out. Mm. It's, it's, um, I just were like one nice thing about music is that, um, in the best of music, you just surrender all your ego. You don't think about how you look. You don't think about how you're contorting or moving or anything. You just surrender to a a universal flow. And uh, so I'm, I'm getting a little better about that now. (laughs) So 
you you talked about how men used to almost objectify you yeah. in, in a certain way. Uh, and that still happens to this day, obviously. Uh, how did you deal with those kind of people? What did, did you like tell them off or did someone else tell them off for you or what, like how would you yeah. react to those situations? I, I guess I'd, you know, just kind of, I, I didn't want to, I, I'm not a dramatic person. I didn't want to make waves. I just, you know, kind of shrug and, and laugh it off and walk away. Um, you know, it's when it's my fellow musicians, it's especially hurtful. Um, mm. Now I find actually among my fellow musicians, I find nothing but respect. And I have to say, I, I think that's one thing that has changed through the time. I think um, people are just much more respectful of me. Um. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, would that be your your advice to give to younger women who are who deal with those issues? What would you say to any aspiring, uh, like younger women who probably deal with these issues all the time, or even deal with like self conscious issues all mm-hmm. the time? What advice would you give them? Um, I find a lot of the women are um, more empowered to be able to speak their mind. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I I would dodge things. I just like let people, let things pass. I guess it just depends on the person with the way, you know, some people are more confrontational and and some people will make an issue of something that isn't Mm -hmm. even an issue. Maybe something that is an issue to one person wouldn't be to another, like somebody opening the door for them. I, I am grateful for that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, somebody opens a door for another person. It's like, uh, I can get that for myself. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it depends on the person and, um, what, what things have happened to them in the past or the, the propaganda they've been exposed to, or I, I'm not saying one is better than the other. Um, for me, I just prefer to just come with the assumption that people are being thoughtful. And, um, I mean, even if they are saying something about me physically, like at this point, <laughs> at my age, if, if somebody thinks I'm pretty, it's like, oh, gosh, <laughs> oh, <right>. thank you. <laughs> thank you for seeing through all this. Right. But So that's, yeah. that's where I am. That's a... Uh... Uh, an interesting but true perspective like for example i've uh, talked to uh at, at least as a christian there are a million million and five ways to view christianity right and to approach somebody with a certain mindset you can totally offend somebody somebody else and not realize it um as and within the music world especially that can be really really intense sometimes do you, have you ever experienced that or had did you've maybe said something that you thought was perfectly fine, but someone else was like the worst thing you could have ever said? Hmm. Or has someone like misinterpreted? Uh, 
Yeah, I guess I mm. I have been misinterpreted, and um, then it then I will just um, I will try to communicate. You know, I I I feel terrible. I, I'm very. I guess a rather compassionate person, and I feel terrible if I um, exceeded someone's boundaries or or whatever may have offended them. And I might try to explain myself. Sometimes they they just leave, and I won't get the satisfaction of trying to explain or or apologize or whatever, um, but. That's their choice, and uh, I try. I try these days not to beat myself up too much. I I feel badly if I've hurt somebody's feelings, um, and I try to make it better. But if I can't, I I forgive myself a lot. I think forgiveness is huge. Mm. For, forgiveness of other people, but also of yourself. Forgiveness is gigantic, especially if you're like self-conscious, so so self-conscious of yourself or you're uh, introverted and you're always reflecting on yourself. You have to be able to forgive yourself. And because without forgiving yourself, you can't really grow. Mm -hmm. So you'll just get bound by by the things you hold against yourself. And uh, yeah, you need to let that dissolve so you can move beyond it not be held back what devices have you used in order to forgive yourself there's you know for example like music or religion or uh you know just your just being your own willpower what devices have you found the most helpful in order to just let something flow down the river and into oblivion um i was in a a dream group in the mid eighties with um it was six women um we would get together and uh we would do meditations together we just create our own things some of it is drawn from different indigenous beliefs um universal beliefs of of people, but just what was in ourselves and and came up because I think that's where all the religions really come up from the the experience of being a human being in the unfolding of the universe and so um so sometimes we would do meditations that were just spontaneous and sometimes if it was particularly intense we might build a ritual around it like of of burning, you know, writing the thing down and then burning it or breaking it or letting it go into the universe. So um, if if it's not just something that I can do in the moment, just like, let it go, just let it go, you know, telling myself to do that. If it's something particularly intense, I might do those things. Yeah, that's interesting. There's... Um many different techniques that I've seen and burning it, writing them down, burning them is one of them for sure. And that's been rather helpful for me as uh, a person who's been through, throughout my young life, I've been rather tortured uh, person. Um, mm. My mother died at, uh, she died randomly of a heart attack Aww. in her sleep when she was like 40. 
Wow. So like, yeah, like literally out of nowhere. And I was only 12. And I had really oh had. Oh, my sh- gosh. Yeah. I had really had a strong connection with her because my father was never around because he was also a gigging musician. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So and he didn't really have that healthy uh, family balance of, oh, I should be taking care of my kid mm-hmm. versus the music. And. And that's not to disparage my father at all. I love him now. He's doing a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, you, you know, you have to acknowledge that. Yeah, that's, boy. Yeah. You have lost your mother, not have the other it, half there. And not only that, but the only time that I saw him was when he was drunk, abusive, oh. and and or I was in trouble, which was sometimes rightly deserved, <laughs> I must say. <laughs> uh, one of the stupidest stories I could, I could tell you is... Um, uh, I got bored a lot, and I was eating SpaghettiOs, and I saw I was looking up at at the ceiling fan. And I was like, "Hmm," and <laughs> <laughs> so I started uh, catapulting <laughs> SpaghettiOs up at the ceiling fan, and it you know splattered everywhere. And my I went as soon as my mom got home, I went up to her and asked, "You want to know how I got SpaghettiOs on the roof?" And <laughs> And from oh. that, I was, I was. Uh, you were being experimental. I was being experimental. They were just, they were just, they were just shutting down my creative side. Dang. But also, so now you're going for it in a ferocious way. Right, right. But I, you know, to to be fair, I can completely understand the anger of you know having spaghettios stains on your roof <laughs> <laughs> of you know the living room. So, but um. Yeah, so that was like the only time I ever saw my dad was whenever he was angry at me, uh, for the most part. I, mm-hmm. I, I will say that I, there were some good parts in there, but for what I remember are the angry bits and the uh, domestic violence bits that I had to experience. I had to call, uh, I had to call the cops on my dad. Wow, that's uh, rough. Yeah, it is really a good thing that you have music to help mm-hmm. process that stuff from your past. That, that That is another thing I was going to mention. You know, you have the rituals and, and meditations to do, but a huge way I process things from the past is through music. And, and even things I'm going through now, like I lost my mother just recently in, in July, mm. and the day she died... Um, I was, I had a gig at Helena Bucket with Bjorn and some folks and, um, I could have canceled, but I knew that music was going to help me process that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was the best thing I could have done. And so I'm sure like with having those things from the past, um, having the music now, probably is is valuable even if you're conscious of it or not yeah i I wonder because i really haven't really delved deeply into it because i i've long bottled up emotions and just don't want to deal with it but i really haven't had uh, well with my mother's stuff i kind of have i wrote a song about that and i just can't go through that song without tearing up Mm, but it's it's a it's a healthy healthy medium but in regards to the darker stuff i really haven't unlocked those cages that are hidden deep down but i i also don't feel like it's affecting me as much so i feel and i feel like i've kind of i feel like that my dad has redeemed himself so much 
to the point where it doesn't matter almost. That's redemption is huge too. Like forgiveness and redemption. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I love that about life that the things you have done don't have to stain us and restrain us forever. That there are ways of cutting through that. If, if the people around you too bear enough grace to allow mm-hmm. you to break free of those binds and let you thrive and have another life and another life. And another, you know, there are all these little deaths we can have in our life and, and reset. That's something I, I feel like is almost lacking a lot these days, especially with like, you know, cancel culture or whatever. There isn't a lot of room for growth and uh, you know, rebirth, essentially. Mm. There, it's only oh, that person did this. He's forever this. He yes. can't be anything more, or she, he or she can't be anything more than this. Right. And there, there's no pathway to society. It's one reason why I'm against the death penalty, actually. Mm-hmm. Because I, I believe in redemption so much. That, I agree. Yeah. I agree. That, that I mean, thank heavens for being able to, to evolve. Right, yeah. It's it would be such a boring place if if you made one mistake and that was all. Yeah. Everyone, We're just done here. Uh, uh, yeah, it, uh, truthfully everyone would be a cookie stealer. For the time, <laughs> the time. This is the first bad yeah. thing I probably did was steal a cookie or something. Or a spaghetti splatter. Or a spaghetti splatter. I'm the sp- sp- <laughs> spaghetti splatter. Call me up if you need your uh stealing redone. <laughs> Pretty sure the stains are still there. I don't know. 